Peter. Drew's not here. He has a life doing other things. So welcome to How College Works. Full house today, slightly physically, also on the phone. Uh, we have guests, actual guests, who come and talk to us. So, hey, Courtney. Hi, I'm Courtney Troutweiler. I'm the library director. And uh, hey, Lindsay, how are you? Hey, Peter. Uh, I'm Lindsay. I'm a librarian in Canada, and I am an acting director at one of our uh, libraries that does maps and data and government information. Sweet. Okay. So, how college works all about, well, how college <clears throat> works, obviously, but in terms of, for our listeners, the idea is what do we all do and what does that mean for them in dealing with us? So, Courtney... What would you say it is you do? Well, I manage and lead the library. Uh, I have a staff of four other librarians as well as 14 student assistants. I manage and teach library instruction uh, when invited by faculty members. Uh, I assist patrons in the library when they need help. I budget. I do collection development. I do library marketing as well as strategic planning. So what is probably the biggest interaction or role that, a, that students have within your library? When the students come in, how are they using the library? They're typically using the library for locating materials, finding books, finding journals, using the computers, using the electronic databases, uh, using the ebook collection that we have. So is this for mostly academic Yes, mainly mainly academic use. There are instances of, you know, entertainment value, watching movies, listening to music, napping on copious couches available for napping, things like that. So li library library is material and library is also space. Mm. So it has it has multipurpose. I will say that the most comfortable chairs in my undergraduate institution were at the libraries. I would agree. Um, we use the space in the basement, oh, sorry, lower level of the library for the learning center and the writing center. And there are some very comfy, oversized chairs that students make good use of. And I'm like, be careful, because that chair will put you to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Lindsay? It sounds like you have directorship of some fairly specialized library collections or, or topics. Yeah, I um, so like Courtney, we do we have a library is space, and one of the spaces that we have at my institution at the University of Ottawa, which is in Ontario, Canada, is we have a dedicated space for for maps and for data and statistics, government information, and um, that's just one of the libraries I, I head up. And you have to keep in mind that my library has forty thousand students and a hundred. Um, not 100, I'm sorry, 1,000 faculty members. So obviously our target is a little bit different than other spaces, right? So your, your library has 100 faculty who are working with it? Is that yeah, we have 100 faculty or 100 people that work within the library, but we cater to 1,000 faculty members and 40,000 students across our so. entire campus. <laughs> that is, um, I think you have more people working for you than we have faculty. You do. By, 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 a, by double. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can imagine 
that our array of services is going to be very different than a smaller institution. So, you know, we have more people that we have to kind of help. So for students coming to your libraries, how are they using those resources and spaces? Yeah, it really depends often on what their project is or what their, I guess, their assignments are. But a lot of the time, for example, we have in our math library, we have a special, a special librarian for geography, and she helps a lot of the students come in, and they'll need to do a migration pattern for birds across South America to Canada or something. And so what, what she'll do is she'll help them find, you know, the, the maps and the locations and the path that they travel, but it goes one step further, and so she'll take that data and she'll kind of make it so they can do an actual data visualization, whether it's you know, showing them on how they go across the board because we have specialized software to help with that or um, finding data and going to the biology librarian to help them kind of map it out. So there's a lot of different really cool projects that we do within my library, but we also have, you know, while we have the couches and everything, we have like, we have a board game library. We have one that we play video games and stuff because that goes with our education department. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that goes on that's not typically thought of to be in a library. So so two things. First of all, if I go to college at University of Ottawa, I can just play video games. That's my takeaway. Yeah, that's that's my number one takeaway. So, so my second <laughs> takeaway is that it sounds, and I think this is true for what you're describing as well, Courtney, that there are actually a lot of resources and support available at the library for students who come and ask for them. There, there are a lot of resources, and, and a lot of them happen to be mysteries to students. Even, even if you do wonderful marketing and let everyone know the different things that you have available, there's been many times when I've been working with a student and said, oh, well, here we have this, or here we have this, and they're like, I didn't know you had that. We have that here? So, I mean, it's, there's always the surprises that happen. But having a variety of different resources and services available really is critical to be in a successful library space on campus. Yeah, definitely. So is there, for our librarians, and either one of you can jump in on this one, are there things that you would like students in general, your students to know about how to deal with, how to interact with you or with your library or staff or things you wish they wouldn't do? Like, so if you're going to construct the ideal interaction with students, what, like, what do they need to be doing? Well, I'll start out. I think the ideal interaction is having any sort of interaction, feeling comfortable asking questions. I want, I want people to come to the library with questions. I want them to be curious. I want them to seek out assistance, whether it be from myself or from other librarians on staff, to find the answers to the questions or to get guidance with the research that they're, they're looking for. I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel like this is my answer place. I can come here when I don't know how to do something and I will receive the help that I need. What about you, Lindsay? Does that fit with, yeah, that, with your goals? Yeah, that echoes a lot of um, like exactly what Courtney said. And I think one of the, I think each environment is kind of different, right? Because I would imagine in a smaller institute, people would be more 
comfortable coming forward and, and, and talking to people that are, you know, at the front of the library counter or the circulation desk. But I know, at least at my institution, some of the reasons that maybe students don't come forward is because they find the the desk intimidating or, like, I'm not really sure why, but for some reason that's some of the comments that we've heard. And so I guess it would just be to kind of let them know that, one, librarians aren't scary, <laughs> and neither are our staff, but two, that there are other venues that they can try to get in contact with us if they don't like doing that one-on-one -on -one approach, or maybe they can't if they're like, um, if they're a student, maybe that's a part-time student and can only go nights and weekends and libraries don't, librarians or they can't get the help that they want. You know, we have, there's virtual reference services through chat. You can drop a librarian an email directly and ask them stuff. So I think that would be the other thing that I would like students to know is that you can, there's different ways to get a hold of the support that you need. Mm. I agree with that as well. The chat, the chat reference, the email communication, face-to-face -face communication, it doesn't matter if you've got a, a small library or a large library. They're still shy about coming up to the desk here, too. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And I know that, like, we also, we've set up some social media stuff, like, through Twitter and mm -hmm. Instagram and through Facebook. And so, you know, they'll also reach out that way, especially if they're unhappy. <laughs> they'll, they'll reach out that way, too, which is kind of a new way to touch base with the younger folk these days. <laughs> well, I mean, I, as, as much as I like to send out surveys and I want to know what we're doing right, I also want to know what we're doing wrong. So if you have unhappy patrons, that's, um, that's important to know. Yeah. So that you can take steps to make them happy. Did you have something? Well, <clears throat> I was listening to Lindsay's description of the maps and the mig migratory patterns and all that stuff. So I guess my question is for both of you, although this one probably is specifically because of that example, is so what can a library offer that Google can't? Because can I just look up migratory pattern maps online? That's a really good question. Um, and we, it's something we actually get pretty often from students. And um, a lot of the time, no, you can't just Google migratory patterns because a lot of that information, like the good data, is usually copyright, which means that you can only get it in certain places. And it's the same thing for articles. It's the same thing for books. You can go to Google Scholar and you can type it in. It's a good place to use and it's a good tool. And so I'm not discouraging anybody from using it, but you should also know that the really good stuff that you probably need to do your academic work is found in the databases and other places than just Google. Right, and the databases are typically behind paywalls. So, yeah. you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to students, especially during orientations, I use the analogy of an iceberg. You know, yes, the, the internet is like an iceberg, and when you search Google, Essentially, you're seeing that that top 10% above water, the, the ice that you see above the water, and the data and the information that you can access through library databases and other resources that the library has access to essentially gives you access to the other 90% of the iceberg that you can't see under the water. Exactly. So essentially getting access to deep web so material. Deep web. Ooh. Feel like I feel like I might have heard that. That sounds so sci-fi. <laughs> oh, it's definitely on sci-fi shows. The deep web. The deep web. Yeah. Yes. Like, like the black web or. No, the deep web is like where people go. You have to have passwords. You can do illegal stuff. But right. not I'm not talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this is oh. not driven. This isn't driven by Bitcoin then. No, oh. no. Bitcoin. No. <laughs> but if you don't know what that is, go to the library. <laughs> <laughs> so that might be one thing which is important for our listeners to sort of understand, which may not have come up before, is that there is a lot of information on that is open on the internet. And that the, the mantra of information wants to be free is fairly accurate for, for many, many things. But there are portions that are published scholarly that those are co copyrighted. This may not be something that students realize is that when you publish in a journal, when you submit, you sign away your, ac your rights to the material that you are submitting for publication. So if I submit a paper to a journal, then the people who own the copyright, who effectively own the information, own the graphics that I have put into it, and own the words that I have written down, is not me anymore. It becomes the journal that is publishing it for, for most prestigious publications. Science and Nature are two of the most prestigious uh, journals mm -hmm. just there are. There are also you know, prestigious ones for physics, like the Physical Review. Publishing in any of those means that I don't own that material anymore, which also means that it's not searchable through Google anymore, because Google can only access, or can only display, even if it has access, uncopyrighted material. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so if you need all of that really interesting or academic or scholarly work, you're basically locked out. It's locked out of Google. Google can't get you there, or can't get you enough to actually do what you need to do. No, that's why you need access to the databases. Right, which are... Well, and I think the other thing, too, is that the stuff that's locked behind the databases is what's more authoritative, right? You can get anything on the internet, but you don't know if it's true or not, whereas the stuff that's locked behind the wall, as unfortunate it is to be locked behind a wall, you know, you know that it's good quality information, which is a lot more important than a lot of half the time what you find on Google. Right. Well, certainly, there have been times when I have had uh, students write papers where they needed to cite sources and come find new sources, and they would just Google some stuff and say, "Here's what." Um, Wikipedia says. Uh, no, they, <laughs> they're sometimes. getting smarter about that. They don't some, cite Wikipedia as often. Yeah, but they'll cite. You know, you need blah 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 blah. You know, this much water to to work, and then like they, their citation is a link. I follow the link. It's a company that sells water. It's like, well, you know, yep. maybe <laughs> I'm not saying yep. they're wrong, but that's less reliable than Wikipedia because they have a, a a financial need for you to buy water and think that you need probably even more water than you might. Right, and and that's another that's another goal that I have during library instruction, and I'm sure that Lindsay has as well, is teaching students how to understand authority and find proper authorities to support whatever their research topic happens to be. And, and knowing how to, how to tell the difference between something that is not authoritative and something that is. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a big challenge for us, especially not just with the um, first-year students, but also with a lot of international students that we have. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not always the same, and so that comprehension is sometimes, well, I thought I did it right, and then it also comes down to, well, how do I know it's authoritative, and how do I cite it? So it comes down to also helping them cite it properly. So there, there's some of that work which Melody does in the Writing Center or your 
uh, literary or... I don't teach literary. I'm not saying you particularly. <laughs> I do but not. A literary <laughs> professor, an literary course. I do teach taking. a research class, so this becomes very important for well, that particular right. course. So that type of citation, how do you cite properly within your required format or style, yes. can also get help from that from a library. You can. If, say, you're super intimidated by Melody. As you should be. Because she is sassy. <laughs> then... You can go to our library and Courtney will help you out, or one of Courtney's minions. Yes, yes. We have multiple style guides. I know places online where you can get authoritative citation direction for whatever particular style you're needing. Mm -hmm. Let's hope it's not government documents because no one likes to cite government documents for that. (laughs) No, I completely agree. You need need a PhD to do that. Pretty sure I can't do that most days. I'm like, we're just gonna put the stuff in here. This is my best guess. Okay, so don't do that. Don't do that citation style. Government oh. documents. No, I mean, you. you there are styles. There, it's just, it's just difficult. difficult. Yeah, it's, it's not something that's fun. So, are there examples of modes or ways students have approached either of you librarians, which is kind of gauche? Well, um, I'm not sure if gauche would be the the right term. That's but French a little, listeners. I was going to be left. like, I don't think anyone knows what gauche means. I have a sense. Don't ask me to define no. it. Well, it's French. But it means left. It comes from our preference for right-handedness. Well, that's not very nice. No, it's totally it's right-handed centric. Because it, it means informal. Or not informal. It means improper. Something is gauche. Not to, not <laughs> to insult gosh. any left-handed listeners. Right. I, all Sorry. our Canadian listeners would know exactly what I, I like, said. I was like, exactly. I was like, are you doing this for the Canadian audience? I like how you're getting international, Pete. That's good. Oh, well, y- you know me. I like international things, like pizza. <laughs> and poutine. Poutine is awesome. Anyone who's not had poutine should go have poutine. Uh, it's, anyway, it's go. It's a short drive to Canada. If you want to have poutine, it looks I haven't had any students be gauche. I've had students be presumptuous. Like, they, they will come up and say, this is what I need to do. Here's the assignment sheet. And then turn to leave. Like, <laughs> oh, leaving yes. the, yes. can yes. you get this? Can you do this for me? And I'm, I'm like, hold on a second here. I'll be happy to show you how you can do it. I'll go through an example with you. And then I'll leave you to complete the rest, and I will be in my office if you have any more questions. Good luck with that. So, I, yes, I've, I've had those types of experiences. Not very often. I mean, just those, those types stick out in my head. 99% of the time, the student is very polite, very friendly, very in need of assistance and help, and happy to get some assistance. So, Lindsay, you? Yeah, I, um, it's actually pretty rare that I have anything that is, is gauche, to be honest with you. I mean, if you're on the chat reference and the chat is open to anyone, even the public, you might get someone trying to hit on you, which is, I mean, typical, cool. I guess, if they have ideas of what a librarian does. Um, We've all seen movies. Yeah, this is what I mean. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it gets hey, awkward. You, you report them, you block them, as one does when you're online, but... 
I guess um, I was telling Courtney earlier that oftentimes, you know, I'm, you're put in this awkward situation where the student is so frustrated sometimes that I've had people cry in my office. Mm-hmm. And so they've cried, so now I keep an extra box of Kleenex in my office just in case that seems to happen. And I've started to address myself as the hairdresser of the academic world, oh. where everyone will tell me their problems <laughs> and feel better afterwards. I have a box of Kleenex for crying students. I don't think I'm their hairdresser, though. That's not generally the way that one rolls. You know, I'm the one assigning things, is the problem, is that you're the one who's having to deal with the fallout from the assignment that I'm given. I, I, exactly. I know what Lindsay's talking about, because I think there's a psychological effect that overcomes people when they're in a library, because I've had many instances, like in my previous library as a, as a public librarian, where people really like to share, and oftentimes it's too much information. <laughs> So it can be, you, you feel comfortable, you're in a place where you're going to seek help and you have questions and then you just start talking. And so sometimes it can, it can turn into a hairdresser situation where you're really, you know, listening to someone. So would it be correct to, for advice for students when they're coming into the library to, 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 one, ask for help even if it feels a little intimidating because that's what... Certainly, yes. staff are there for. Correct. 100% correct. Two, expect that you will do that work and they will show you, but the actual typing and searching and mouse moving uh, will be done by you, the person asking for help. And three, maybe keep it professional. Yes. Yes. So speaking of that, my students often have a, they don't know what to call you, Courtney. (laughs) And I think I try to like, you know, be like, oh, Director Trotweiler or whatever um, in front of them. But then later on, they're like, should I call her Courtney? And so what do they address you as? I ask them to call me Courtney. I, I don't have a doctorate, so I'm not Dr. Trotweiler. Do you have Maybe. a master's? I do have a master's. Unfortunately, master's does not entitle you to the master Trotweiler. But you could totally adopt that. I won't tell them. Oh, I guess I'm just going to call me Star-Lord or something. You like could. Star-Lord. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I want them to feel comfortable with me. So uh, upon my first impressions with them, especially with freshman orientation, I don't mind being on a first name basis with them. I don't require them to call me Mrs. Troutweiler or Director Troutweiler. I have some students call me Miss Courtney. You know, it, that seems to be a comfortable thing for them to do, and I'm fine with that. Uh, but typically. T- t- <laughs> Typically, they just refer to me as Courtney, and that's fine. If if they have a first name, if they have me on a first name basis, I feel like I've scored a little bit because they know that they can come and talk to me comfortably about their research, and and I'll be happy to help them. So I don't want them to feel intimidated. What about you, Lindsay? Do you use your your full title? Did you give us your full title? No. No. Could you give us your full title? Yeah, I can. This is not how I would like them to refer to me, but my full title for my job, you mean? Yes. Yeah, right now I'm the acting director of the Geographic, Statistical, and Government Information Center and the Social Sciences Library. Yes. That's pretty nice. That's a nice title. That, that's a big placard on your desk. You know, in French, 
because at my university we also have to speak French, and so I guess that's a little different, but it's even longer. So oftentimes when I get up in front of a class just to introduce myself, I'll just say, hi, my name is, you know, my name is Lindsay. This is my title on the screen. I'm not going to read it out to you because it's really too long <laughs> and a mouthful. And so they usually appreciate that. I was telling Courtney that there was one point where I was teaching a workshop, and one student comes up to me, and he's like, Lindsay, you're so dope. <laughs> and I had to stop. That is awesome. That well, is I had awesome. to stop and I went to look at him and I was like, okay, just to clarify, I'm like, that means that you like me, right? He's like, yeah, Lindsay, you're the bomb. He's like, you're cool. I was like, okay, well, I'm glad that I'm not the name of a drug. And then we, you know, it was funny after that. <laughs> good, good, yes. Positive reinforcement is always helpful. Agreed. You would prefer that they refer to you as Lindsay as well. Yes, that long-running anecdote is exactly that. I just want to clarify for our listeners, you may have lost track. I mean, you are dope. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I appreciate that. You're also dope, Courtney. <laughs> Maybe all librarians by default are dope. We try really hard. You have we to do. Put on the glasses. <laughs> do all librarians wear glasses? Um, all the librarians I know. Lindsay, do you have glasses on? Uh, not right now. I do wear glasses, but I know librarians that don't wear glasses. So really? yeah, we have to beat the stereotype somehow, you know. I suppose right. it's true. So is there anything else that that either of you would like to make sure that our listeners hear about what you do or what they should do or just general advice in terms of dealing with libraries and librarians? Well, um, I think ultimately if there was one takeaway from listening to a podcast about librarians and what librarians do in an academic library. It's for the listener to understand that there's so much information and we understand that there's so much information. I mean, it can be information overload, but come to us. We can essentially Sherpa you through that information. Okay. And we want you to feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, and to, just to build on that, you know, it's about building their skills so that they feel independent and empowered to do the research on their own and that they would come to us when they're stuck, right? So that's really the big takeaway, I think, for most libraries in general. Mm -hmm. teaching, teaching them how to research so that the next time that they have to do it, they feel more comfortable and essentially helping them build their own toolkit to use. Yeah. And, these, and these skills move forward beyond, uh, you know, college or graduate school into, into normal life, information literacy, critical thinking, being able to, to solve problems and find information to help you solve those problems. Definitely. Well, one thing I was thinking, because I'm not a librarian, but I sure do take advantage of it, that I would want students to know is that, like, I have to regularly ask for help. I'm always emailing or calling Courtney and being like, hey, so I'm using Creative Commons and I'm having some, I don't know how to do citations for open source materials and we're, you know, like, so I'm constantly running into things because information and research is changing and librarians are at the, the forefront of that. And so like when I have problems and things, so I'm like, I have no shame. <laughs> help me. <laughs> well, I mean, and we're happy to help. And one, one thing that, that I also want to say is that we don't have all of the answers, but yeah, we'll tell definitely. you when we don't know and say, look, let me find out and I'll get back to you. 
You know, we she we, does. We, we we love a we love a good mystery. I love I love a challenging question. I mean, one that you know, essentially, I end up learning something in the end as well. You learned so. about copyright. I did. That's right. Well, and it's like a choose your own adventure, right? You can yeah. choose which way you want to go, and there could be two options. So, I mean, you know, you get to choose what option it doesn't work. You can just backpedal and go the other way. So anyway, I guess that was my takeaway for students is that like everyone has to ask for help sometimes. So I think like, why do students not want to go to the library? Well, I think there is an intimidation factor, which is kind of silly because librarians are like the nicest people, but they don't know that yet. But you know, we all have to ask for help. And sometimes I'm like, Courtney, I can't find this book. <laughs> and so she has to help me. And it's just, it's part of my life. Just making sure I know where to get resources and if I don't know how to get them to help have somebody help me <laughs> who does know well and I, I think uh, it's part of a librarian an academic librarian's responsibility to also you know be in touch with the faculty as well so that the faculty is aware of the resources and the services and you know what can we do for your class mm. how can we help you with your class I will say, I'll add just the asking for help, like one of the biggest lessons I learned as a graduate student, especially as a postdoc, which is when I met Lindsay when I was a postdoc, is to ask for help. <laughs> yeah. That there is this idea that, especially as you go farther and farther in education, that you're supposed to know these answers. And the reality is actually that as you go farther and farther, there are bigger questions that you don't have the answers to. That in physics anyway, as a postdoc, you are not only supposed to go to a new lab that you haven't worked at before, and you're finishing from your graduate studies where you are as probably one of the uh, most complete experts in your experiment in your thesis there is. Like you, you may know more than your thesis advisor about what you're doing and how it works. And then you go to this lab where you've never worked there before, and you actually need to spend the first six months asking the graduate students to explain what they're doing to you because you don't know because you haven't done it before and that sort of humbling of of realizing that I don't have the answers and I need to ask for help and not hesitating to ask for help when you need it I think is an important that's what lesson. I was saying yeah yeah I'm just giving my personal context okay, thank for you. it well I think I think that there's a lot of satisfaction in personally in asking a question, be, overcoming your shyness, asking questions, and then getting those questions answered, and then learning something in the process so that when you leave, you have the answers in addition to a new, a new comfort level in asking more questions or how to face a similar question in the future. So you're, you're more prepared. So just kind of wrap up for the listeners. Step one, approach librarians. They are, they are kind. And we're not shushy. Not, not shushy. Two, recognize that you will be doing the work and they will, they will help you figure out how to do that work so that you can do it yourself and feel yes. comfortable doing it yourself. Three, keep it professional. And four, as a life lesson, just always ask for help. Yeah, don't don't be don't be afraid to ask for help. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's pretty on par. Librarians wear glasses. <laughs> Librarians wear glasses <laughs> most of the time. Okay, so thank you for joining us, Yay. Courtney and Lindsay. 
Yay, thank, thank you, you for inviting us. It was it was a lot yeah. of fun to talk about libraries. We we like to talk about libraries any chance we get. <laughs> Same way physicists like to talk about physics. And I will talk your face off about writing. Yes, my face <laughs> it's is all, it's literally all just a different form of nerd bombing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and thank you all for listening. We will. Uh, well, we won't see you, or and you won't even see us. But we will no. be with you again next week. Have a good week. Bye. 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 Hello everyone, a little fluster from having guests at the end there. So I wanted to remind you that if you want to send me a question, you can reach me on Twitter at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D, or send me an email at peter.o.hyland at gmail.com. All right, next time.